You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Today, super excited to bring you not one guest, but two guests. You got the co-founders of Morning Brew. We got Alex Lieberman, Austin Reef, and Morning Brew. I actually read it every morning. So this is where I go to get my information. I get smarter in five minutes. I look like a genius in front of all my friends. I look like I kind of know what I'm talking about, right? But it's a daily email that makes reading the news actually enjoyable. You can just stay informed and entertained for free. You guys sold to, was it Business Insider? Was that what it was? Yep. yep. Got it. Good deal. Well, welcome to the show, guys. Great to have you. And I just want to know, I mean, the very first question I have is, you guys have been partners for for how long? Six years. Six years, yeah. Six years. Okay. So you guys went to Michigan together, partners for six years. I could just tell when you guys both joined, the dynamic is still really strong. And so I just want to ask, because a lot of partnerships, you start to see them fall apart after a while. How have you guys evolved as partners over the years? Because things typically change. Yeah. I mean, I would say that It's interesting because Austin and I definitely didn't meet like most co-founders meet. We didn't meet on Hacker News or Reddit like Brian Armstrong and his co-founders. We didn't meet through YC or any sort of accelerator. We met because Austin was a reader of like the OG Morning Brew and he had feedback for the product. It's interesting because it's not like I did so much due diligence into a co-founder. I was just like, this guy's really smart. He thinks really differently. Let's bring him on. And at the time... It wasn't a business. It was just a hobby. So it was okay to think about a co-founder in that way. It wasn't even like co-founder like of a business. It was like co-founder of like a project. And I would say we've maintained a really good co-founder relationship. I think because we're honest with each other. We are direct with each other. Also, we're, I would say in a good way, unemotional about things. Like we, we try to be as objective as possible when talking about things. And of course, there's going to be emotions some of the time. But I think we've been generally pretty good having conversations that are level-headed, that are steeped in just like merit and objectivity, which I think becomes really difficult when there's oftentimes with team partners, a great deal of ego, at least for a lot of businesses. Got it. I guess for both of you, because you guys are still under 30, right? Both of you, correct? Yeah. Still, it sounds like you guys, A, you guys read a lot and you guys have really kind of, sounds like a lot of philosophy that comes in, right? Where you guys have matured quite a bit and removed the ego. Is that something you guys consciously work on because a lot of people that are under 30 that have had the success that you've had, they start getting the Lambos, they start getting the mansions and all that. And then before you know it, they kind of lose themselves, right? So either of you feel free to take this one. I don't think it's really a credit to us, right? Nothing we did was that sexy. We started a newsletter. You know, we didn't raise millions of dollars of venture funding from A16Z or a big fund. So for us, it was such a grind. And because we were two young founders, I do think we were always until recently half a step behind as opposed to half a step ahead because the business was growing so quickly. And I I think finally, second half of last year, we really leveled up the team, the Morning Brew team, and we were finally able to get a half step ahead. But I think we were always, we were still like always in the race, but we were never in the driver's seat, really, really confident. We were always trying to make sure we were there. So there was really never time to get cocky. And we weren't in Silicon Valley. Like what we were doing just wasn't that cool. It wasn't a software company. It wasn't social media. It was a media company. To us, it was cool. To us, it was really great. We thought we were doing something awesome. But it wasn't what was being glorified or we weren't like social, like Mark Zuckerberg, where it's very idolized. So it was like just media founders. When you have a newsletter company, you can't get too big of a head. <laughs> yeah. 
here's the thing though, this newsletter company, I mean, when you look at like the HubSpot's buying the hustle or you guys with, with Business Insider, right? It is actually sexy, right? Because like the attention at the end of the day is super valuable. So maybe just to back up a second, can you guys speak to the business a little bit, what the business model is, how you guys make money? Because I want to give people a sense of kind of how it's all set up. Yeah. So we make money through advertising. We make money across seven different products at this point. The first, obviously, you alluded to was the daily newsletter, which we launched in March of 2015, has just short of 3 million subscribers right now. And then we've launched other products over time. Our first foray into something else was still in the newsletter space. And that's when we launched our B2B newsletters like Retail Brew, Emerging Tech Brew, Marketing Brew, and the whole ethos around the B2B part of our organization is that B2B media, even less sexy than B2C newsletters. And there's a ton of opportunity to help modern business leaders be better at their jobs. In addition to B2B newsletters, we launched podcasts. So we have Business Casual, where we interview the biggest names in business. We have my podcast, Founders Journal, where I talk about the mental aspect, the thoughts that builders need to have in general to build successfully. Over time, the business has evolved from newsletter brand into multi-platform media brand. That's what we are now. Still entirely advertising-based. We're testing paid products outside of just advertising. The advertising business has been really good for us. Newsletters are a high margin business. It's a high CPM business because we have really quality attention of people who have opted into the product. And I think also part luck, over time, brands have just become more amenable to paying up to get in front of a newsletter audience. And so... I guess, where do you guys see newsletters going, right? Because obviously, you know, the, with the Substacks and A16Z pumping a lot of money into Substack, right? Everyone's making a newsletter now. Do you think we're reaching a bubble at this point? Or do you think it's still very viable to start one? Newsletter is just the medium. You can totally start a newsletter, just like you can start a YouTube channel or a podcast. And everything's saturated until someone comes in and does something differently. So I don't know if you know Packy McCormick. Before Packy started his newsletter, if you just said, hey... Package, hey, I'm going to write about business stories and break down business. People have been like, there are a hundred people, maybe a thousand people who do that. And I don't care if you do it in a YouTube video or a Twitch stream or a newsletter, it's been done before, but he did it in an interesting way. He does it in a very funny, interesting way. And he's really smart and a great writer. And so there's space. Same thing with Pump, right? Pump does business interviews. If you would have said when Pump launched a podcast, another person interviewing people in business, like he has a different point of view in the world. And so I think there's absolutely opportunity. You just need to have a unique point of view in the world or be an expert in the space you're talking about or just do it in an interesting way. But I do think if you're trying to recreate, let's say a morning brew or a hustle or the skim, that is more challenging to create a successful business. And because of that, that is why you see so many people going to subscription. I don't think subscription is a better model than ad-based. I just think Subscription is the way you monetize a niche audience and niche audiences are the way of the future. There's so many content creators out there. You have to be niche to stand out. Makes sense. This is actually a question from my team. They're just wondering, for Morning Brew, I mean, how are you guys tracking revenue for the newsletter? That's something that kind of perplexes them. When you say tracking revenue, what do you mean? I guess they're asking maybe what tracking tools you guys are using and how are you guys breaking out revenue per product, per ad format, all that type of stuff. Yeah, nothing we do is fancy, right? And so we actually still use, we use Booster, like which is our CRM. But we actually use Google Sheets as well. So, you know, we'll have a mid eight figure business and a lot of it's just run off of Google Sheets. But, but yeah, I mean, just standard startup tools, like that's what's helped us succeed, I think, is just like general SaaS products. 
Yeah, don't try to overcomplicate things, right? So I kind of asked this yesterday to Alex in Clubhouse, but it was, it was fairly short. I do want to kind of double click on you guys building this amazing team, right? Because actually in Miami, I met up with one of your first employees, Josh Kaplan, right? Super smart guy. And he's just talking about everyone else that you had in the beginning and how the team continues to level up. So there's a lot that goes into that, right? Alex, the way you test people to see how they write from a tweet, I think you might be interested in explaining that story here because obviously podcast. From a broader perspective, how are you guys finding all these great people? Like, where are you scouring? Yeah. I mean, what I would say is we've been really fortunate to level up the business over the years. I think we've had to find smart ways to do it because to Austin's point, like up until the last year, newsletters weren't sexy. Basically, bootstrapping a business wasn't sexy. It made it more difficult for us to hire great talent because we didn't have all the advantages that a lot of venture-backed businesses had. In the early days, you know, as I had mentioned to you yesterday, for writers, that's always been so difficult for us. Writers are absolute unicorns because one of the ways that Morning Brew stands out is through our voice that we communicate to our audience with, where it feels like you're chatting with someone over drinks after work in kind of this passionate and quippy way that's not condescending, but really informed. Like it's such a, a specific blend, right? And so when you're talking about having to find writers who can write with great technical writing chops in 150 words, in a quick-witted way, who have a good sense of pop culture to be able to make references, you're looking for a unicorn every time. And so it's not surprising that our first writer, who is now our managing editor, had no professional writing background, but he had this just like wonky set of experiences in life from being in his acapella group and writing the lyrics for it to his parents being professors. So growing up in an academic household to writing his school's newspaper, it was like the perfect mix for him to be the really funny yet informed newsletter writer. I would also say it takes a certain type of person to love writing curated stories every single day. And so that was how we thought about writers in the early days. And I think we've done a good job as the business has grown, leaning into the growth of our brand and our legitimacy and selling it well to prospective hires. And I think that's what allowed us in the last half year or year to build out a full senior leadership team. Like for the first time ever, Austin and I are the most junior people around the senior leaders of the business. And to have that as your team of Avengers, we feel confident we have in general, the best team in digital media, especially our senior leadership team, but the entire company as a whole. I would say the final part is when you build a brand where you have an audience that really cares about you and is really obsessed with the product, it makes recruiting a lot easier because we don't have to worry as much about job sites. You market your jobs through your newsletter. You have a ton of people who are super passionate Morning Brew readers that ultimately apply for jobs because they're like, I love that brand. I would love to work there. Can you tell us just the audience real quick, what that 150 character test, right? What does that look like? Yeah. So uh, 150 words. And yeah, I mean, very simply, writers had to apply to the brew by basically writing a 150 word story max about a business story that happened in the last few days that they think is worth the modern business leader's time. And they have to write it in a way that they hit the points that they think the modern business leader should care about or will care about. And with a voice that feels conversational in nature, but still direct to the audience. And we've had thousands of people apply for writing jobs at Morning Brew. And I don't know the exact acceptance rate, but what I can say is like 95% of people who go through writing assignments, you know, within a sentence, if they're going to have kind of this balance, this weird balance of skills that makes sense in the context of the brew. 
Got it. Makes sense. Yeah. When I look at your guys' stuff and also the hustle as well, I'm just like, dude, everyone they hire is freaking amazing. I, I don't know how they do it, but definitely go check out the writers from all these media companies, right? They do a great job. Both of you are prolific on Twitter. Is that kind of the medium of your choice? I mean, because here's my thing, right? Like there's the podcast, there's a YouTube channel, there's all the stuff, but I'm spread thin, right? So I guess Austin, I'll throw this question at you. How do you think about where you create content today? Yeah, Alex is definitely a more prolific content creator than I am. I got very involved with Twitter starting 2019. We went really deep end of 2020, beginning of this year. I've taken a little bit of a step back because at some point it gets pretty bad for your mental health. And I was certainly there. I mean, I used to write tweet storms and just refresh the tweet storm all day, like you know, on a weekend all day long. And I, I had to stop. So I don't really do tweet storms anymore. Maybe I'll get back to it every once in a while. But I love Twitter. That's where our audience is, whether it's the Morning Brew audience, our personal audience, that's that's where they are. And so for Morning Brew as a company, we'll start creating content everywhere. We're starting to expand outside of the inbox, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. But for our audience, I do think we are going to really over-index LinkedIn and Twitter versus Instagram. I think YouTube is another place where we definitely have a lot of room to play. But to me, that's going to be a tougher battle. But Twitter to me is just so obvious. That's where the FinTwit is. That group of people is growing. I love Twitter. I think it's where the perfect audience is. It's a, it's a good platform. And I've become a fan. Yeah. I actually was talking to a guy yesterday from one of these big newsletters and he's like, I'll do pay for performance tweet storms with you. So if we don't get like a certain engagement number, then you don't pay. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. So he's bringing that out right now. I think that's going to be the future, right? I think hiring micro content creators like that, that are repurposing stuff or people that are just doing it for like your YouTube shorts as an example too, right? So that's the future. Alex, how long are you spending on tweet storms per week? Yeah, too long for sure. And I think Austin's experienced this. I've experienced this. My guess is pretty much every Twitter creator's probably experienced this is like you truly appreciate how much addiction has been built into these platforms when you start using them a lot because yeah like i'll do a tweet storm and it's literally my thumb will get sore from refreshing that should never happen to a human being so i actually was big on linkedin first linkedin was like the platform where i started creating audience and i still create content on linkedin but i would say to be totally honest with you the product feels a little lost to me twitter i think i got involved after austin got involved because he was like he was loving Twitter. I was like, I got to check this out. And I think what I've loved about Twitter is we talk about talent density in the brew. I think there's such curiosity and intellectual density on Twitter where we're going to be able to play here for Morning Brew because Morning Brew generally has like a curious business professional audience. But then also just as like an entrepreneur, you have so many other really smart people to meet. And the coolest stuff happens in the DMs on Twitter where like you're talking to cool people that you connect with. Sometimes I also need to remind myself that it is such a microcosm of society in Twitter in a few ways. One is I think technologies that you feel late on on Twitter, you're actually incredibly early. You're just seeing dozens of the first users talk about it. I'd say also Twitter is sometimes a place where you feel like unsuccessful, no matter how successful you are, because you're interfacing with four times founders who have started three unicorns and ran a marathon sub three hours. It's like, how do these human beings exist? So I just try to also ground myself in that Twitter is a very helpful thing. But what I, I think makes it helpful also can make it 
at least for me, it can make me self-conscious at times. I need to remind myself that like Twitter is not a representative sample of every person in this world or the country. Yeah, I think Twitter is one of the most important platforms out there. I, if you know how to wield it correctly. Actually, Austin, if you didn't put that tweet out there about your rolling fund, like my decision process through that was like, oh, Austin seems like a smart guy, cool guy. Okay, let's do it, right? Like that was like a little like a like five second decision. I think there's a lot of power in that, right? Let's talk about your rolling fund, Austin. Why did you decide to do it? How are you thinking about your investments and all that? Yeah, so to take a step back, I wrote a few angel checks in the beginning of 2020. April, May, June, it's the heart of COVID and pretty bored. And I was spending a lot of time on Twitter and not so much in terms of content creation, but just, I mean, deep consumption. I, I was deep in Twitter. It was bad because like, what else were you doing? I was living at home with my parents. I would just be on Twitter for like four or five hours. And this guy, Sahil, you know, is like the poster boy for rolling funds. I was DM with him. He's like, you should launch one. I was like, you know, like whatever. And then it just, it became interesting to me. And this was also before the deal too. So if it was after the deal, maybe I wouldn't have launched one. But before the deal, I wanted to write bigger checks, but I didn't have the capital to write the size of the check that I wanted to. And so I just launched it. And I mean, on Twitter, I make it look easy. It's actually been way harder to fundraise, to invest. It's just a lot to balance. And, and fundraising is always challenging, right? Because these people on Twitter, a lot of them don't invest in funds because they have access to angel investing themselves. Being an LP in a fund is mostly for people who don't have the access, right? What I'm providing, why I can charge 20% carry is because a lot of people don't have access. Now, a lot of people definitely are do still have access in my fund. It takes a little bit more of a hurdle. Why should they invest in my fund? So I started it gone well. I'm three quarters in. I like it. Don't get me wrong, but it's been a lot of work. And yeah, what I like most about it is the fact that I can build in public with it, right? It's like like just like we did the morning brew. It's like my side project. I do it nights and weekends. I'll spend probably all day Sunday working on it. That's the cool thing is I can tweet about it. I can talk about it. I can write about it. I can send LP updates. How big is the fund? I'm now up to $650,000 a quarter. By the way, did you get all the things from like all the people coming in from your LPs, right? Coming in from Twitter? Yeah, 100% of LPs, or maybe not 100%, but the vast majority have been from Twitter. AngelList doesn't promote it at all. It's yeah. all just me. And for me, I'd love to get a little bit bigger, but I don't really want to get it much bigger because then it becomes a job. And I don't want to, the last thing I want is for it to be more work. Yeah, it's, it's just Twitter. It's just a flywheel of Twitter. And now wow. my LPs have become my deal flow at times. Yeah. It's really cool. I kind of want to do one for the hell of it now. Guys, tweet at me <laughs> if you want me to do one. So, I guess, I mean, you guys decided to sell. I guess, how are you guys looking at things long-term? Like what's the long-term vision, the long-term thesis? What do you guys want to be doing? So this is really a question for both of you. Yeah. I mean, what I'll just say is the goal of the business, the mission of the business hasn't changed. The ambition just has. So the goal has just always been how do we empower the modern business leader with engaging in accessible content? And I think now more than ever before, we have the team and the foundation of audience to truly accomplish that. And so I think what you're going to see over time is that Morning Brew is a media company already, but I think the reach, the size of the audience, and the intensity of the audience is only going to grow. And it's going to exist in a, what I call, multi-platform, multi-context way. So it's going to be Morning Brew exists everywhere where the modern business leader consumes content. And the content we serve them solves the biggest problems or biggest needs in the modern business leader's day or career. And that doesn't just mean serving them business news. There are other things that a modern business professional or business leader needs to be successful in their life or their career. Got it. I don't know, Austin, if you want to add anything onto that. No, I think that's the perfect example is, or the perfect explanation is 
We're just trying to slowly do more, have more of an impact on our readers' lives in different ways. When we started, one thing we talked about a lot is we wanted to have the same impact that the Wall Street Journal had on our parents' lives, on our generation. And I actually think the ambition now is we can do more. Digital, it's not a newspaper that is sent to you every day. Having this direct relationship with your customer allows us to do so many things. Like if you think about all the areas of content we can create, and therefore, what are all the things we can do beyond just content? Like our goal is not to just be a a media company, it's to be a consumer brand. And what does that mean? What are we selling? What are we providing people? It's in 10 years now, it's not just content. Content is just one thing. It's gonna be the biggest thing, but it's not gonna be the only thing. Got it. I love that. And so working towards wrapping up here, I just want to know kind of this question for both of you too. What business trends are you two particularly excited about moving forward? Austin, I kind of have a sense for obvious reasons. Let's start with you, Alex. To me, one of the things I find most fascinating is the creator economy. And it's been like, I feel bad saying it because it is talked about ad nauseum. And sometimes I feel like don't people don't even understand what they're saying when they say creator economy. But I am just fascinated by the fact that pools have been built on top of the internet to allow individuals to create something. It doesn't just have to be content that leads to them having enough of a livelihood to work for themselves and then gives them the optionality to grow beyond themselves, like grow as an individual or grow a team. And I think the more that I dive into the creator economy, the more that I see that it is such early days in unlocking individuals working for and creating for themselves. And I think also when people think creator economy, they think just Substack creator. They think YouTuber with 2 million subscribers. But to me, there's so much beyond that, right? It is it is the person who is creating courses on Teachable. It is the niche consultant who's doing a boutique consulting work. It is the entrepreneur who's doing executive coaching now. It is the software engineer from Airbnb who's creating niche SaaS products like add-ons to Notion. Like To me, the creator economy is in day one. And I think you look at all those use cases and you're like, wow, there's a lot of ways and a lot of high leverage tools on the internet now that people can make a livelihood for themselves only working for themselves. Love that. All right, Austin. One big thing I'm thinking about, I do think the creator economy is really interesting. I am more bearish than most on creator economy businesses. Not all, but as you know, I've invested in a few, but because I think a lot of them are great for creators, but not great for themselves. The creator economy is a direct response to Facebook and Google taking all control and commoditizing supply. But some of these businesses have done the exact opposite, which has given the creator all the power. And therefore, switching costs, I think, are really low on a lot of these businesses. But beyond that, a big thing I'm thinking about is what happens in whether it's three, six, nine months and we go back to work? Like, What does that actually mean? And what are the businesses that are going to help us do that? And so there are a lot of companies who are taking the concept of what WeWork did, but trying to transform that, right? Because I do believe work is going to be very fluid. It's going to be flexible. So who is providing the infrastructure such that you can have a hybrid work? You know, like, How are we going to send out all of our chairs and our computers and like all our hardware? So I actually invest in a business that helps with that. Another business I invest in is the best way I can describe it is WeWork meets Starbucks, right? So it's, it's like a coffee shop plus, 
The interesting thing is they're leveraging the retail space of all these retail companies that are going out of business. They're getting really, really cheap retail deals, really cheap in second tier cities. So not New York, DC, LA, Chicago, but other than that, these big cities, and they get this really cheap retail space and it's all, you know, Starbucks looking wooden tables and you have a subscription. And so what does that look like? I think is a big trend and how do you facilitate that? And I think what COVID's done is it has accelerated bringing these tech businesses into really the forefront. And what that does is it starts a flywheel, right? Morning Brew grows. Morning Brew is not going to use Skype. Morning Brew is going to use Slack and all of these newer tools, Notion. And so we're going to support Notion, right? Let's say Notion. So that's something I use at work. And then Notion is not going to go back and use those legacy companies. They're also going to use newer companies. And so I think we're going to have this flywheel of newer companies using newer tools. And so people are talking a lot about valuations. And I'm less concerned because I think a lot of these softwares are now, you know, these SaaS products are going to be just like default. It's not, do I use Skype or, or it's like, no, I use Slack or whatever else. Because like, obviously I use those tools. So those are a few things I'm thinking about. Got it. I love that. All right. Two more questions from my side. I think you guys were fairly public with your numbers before. Maybe not so much anymore, right? We're less public now. We are growing faster than we did last year is about as much as I can say. When you were public with the revenue numbers, what were they before you had to kind of not talk about it as much? We did 13 in 2019 and we exceeded 20 in 2020. Perfect. Cool. So you guys have kind of answered this already, but I know I'm going to get questions from people being like, oh, why would they sell? They're doing so much in revenue, right? But you kind of talked about how you have more resources to fulfill the, the mission and the vision, right? Is that the main reason or is there anything else behind that? Like taking some chips off the table? I think it was a general de-risking of the entire business. Got it. The business has so much potential and we've hired 40 people since the deal. And while there was a question whether or not we could afford that, and in hindsight, we could have, we would never have had the confidence to go out and hire the best exec team in digital media. And Got so it. we were able to do that. Perfect. Perfect answer. All right. So favorite business book. Let's start with you, Alex. So this is just like very fresh because I'm reading it right now, but Seven Powers by Hamilton Helmer. It's basically just like the seven strategies that create power for any business, like create defensible moats for a long period of time. It hits on the obvious ones like network effects and switching costs. But I think it just does a great job of laying out like the seven things that generally businesses who are profitable for long periods of time, even in the face of competition, they usually have one of these seven traits. And Hamilton lays it out in a really good way with specific examples. I don't know if you mentioned this yesterday during the clubhouse, because I feel like it's deja vu. Like you might be the second. I didn't. I didn't mention it. Actually, Packy McCormick, who Austin had mentioned, was the original person to recommend the book to me. Got it. I'm on Amazon right now. And apparently I bought it in May last year. So anyway, Austin, what's your video? Did you read it? No, I didn't. It's, I, I like people will see it twice and I'll just buy it. Right. And I'll just, it goes into like the to be read pile. So Got it. But I'll add it to the next one up. Yeah. I would say there's a book called Traction and I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a general framework for running a business. And while the further and further we get from the early days, I think the further we will get from that process it really helped us when I read that book. We needed some structure in our lives. We needed a North Star, something that we could all say, it's what the book says, like we got to just do it. And it builds a systematic process for how to run a business. It was super helpful for us going from, let's say, 10 employees to now we're at 100. I truly believe we would have been much, much slower to set goals, 
to set yearly plans, to set budgets, if not for that book. Yeah. So have you guys hired an EOS implementer before? We have not. I did think about it, but we haven't. It's really different. Like it totally changes things, but you guys are at a hundred now. So framework now might be like scaling up. I don't know. Right. So anyway, costs a lot of money though, but it's great. By the way, on this podcast for listeners, we've had Gina Wickman on the podcast before. So check that one out. Favorite business tool. Let's go with you, Alex. I'm going to go with most people wouldn't consider it a business tool, but it helps me with my business, which is screen time on my phone. I just set all of my social media apps at two hours a day now. And so I get the annoying notifications when I hit two hours on any of them. How often do you override that, Alex? (laughs) (laughs) I definitely override it. And I only hit it with Twitter these days. That's awesome. All right, Austin, you're up. I'll give two. I've gone through every to-do list and every productivity tool you could imagine. And so my most recent to-do list and productivity tool is this crazy concept called paper and pencil. And it's been a really good one for me recently. You don't waste so much time learning new productivity tools. And so, yeah, I've literally been using a pen and pad of paper. And there is something satisfying about actually like crossing something off your to-do list. And this seems so stupid, but it's been pretty great for me. So that's the first one. The second one, similar idea to Alex's screen time, is an app called Freedom. It's actually a Chrome extension. And it prevents you from using a website. And so there's a default one, which is social media. And what I'll do is I'll look at my calendar at the beginning of the day and be like, okay, I've dedicated deep work time from 9 a.m. till noon. And so at 8.55, I'll check Twitter, I'll blast off a tweet, and I'll set freedom from 9 to 12. And I just won't check Twitter. Because otherwise, to me, I won't spend hours on Twitter at a time like some people do. But what I'll do is I'll do three minutes of work, refresh, and then be two minutes on Twitter and back and forth. And that's terrible for getting anything done. So freedom is awesome. I think it's like 40 bucks. Like I think it's a lifetime purchase. It's incredible. I would highly recommend it. You can use it for any website. So if for whatever reason you want to use it for your email, you can use it for your email. Interesting. You both pick productivity tools to kind of control your time, which I think says a lot, right? That's awesome. I think, I think it says that we're addicted to social media. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to use the cop out that we're in the media business. And so it's part of our job to be on social. But yes, it, that is definitely why. Amazing. Well, guys, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Austin, let's start with you. Twitter, Austin Reef. There you go. Alex. I'm going to go with Founders Journal. It's uh, my podcast about the mindset you need to be able to build a business successfully three days a week. And it's been a lot of fun. It's good stuff. Check out that podcast, guys. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks so much for having us. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.